guys. As the choir comes down, would you do me a favor and just thank them again for leading us in worship this morning. Would you let me appreciate what they're doing to help us this morning? Amen. Thank you. As they're coming down, our children's church will be meeting over to my left. You're right in the Welcome Center. And we invite you, Miss Cindy's right here to meet them. And they're coming that way, balcony all around. So just take a moment uh, to get ready for children's church. I know they're going to have a great time uh, there today. And while they're getting ready to go, we'll be turning in God's Word to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2, and if you would, find verse 11. Colossians chapter 2, and find verse 11, and we'll read through verse 15 here in just a few moments, all right? Good deal. Is everybody having a good day so far? Amen, me too. I'm just glad to be in God's house and be with God's people and just uh, have the opportunity to worship him corporately. I hope you've done as I encourage you to do every week what I learned from Adrian Rogers years ago. I hope you've worshiped privately. I hope you've worshiped with yourself, maybe your family. And I hope you brought your worship with you today, amen? And you don't have to come try to work something up or try to produce something that's not real. But you just bring with you that love relationship with Jesus that you've been a part of all week. And it just manifests itself as the body of Christ gathers together on the Lord's day. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, if you found your place and physically able, let's stand together in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. If you don't have a copy of God's word, please don't worry. It's on the front of your worship guide. It'll also be on the screens for you to follow with us and see what God's word says. Colossians chapter 2, we began reading in verse 11. The Bible says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who, were raised, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made us alive together with him and has forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Let's look at verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the word we have read would fall upon hearts that are ready to receive the truth that's contained within it. Father, as we receive the truth, may we respond to that truth and may you be glorified through this time of worship today in your house. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm preaching to you on the power of Christ and his cross. We started our journey through this letter, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. We were greatly encouraged to read about the testimony of the believers in that fellowship they were a fellowship that was marked by faith, love, and hope. And that was bringing much spiritual fruit to them in their journey with the Lord. 
they found left on the pages of scripture, we read much about them, that they were a church that really embodied what it meant to give themselves away. At the beginning of our journey in chapter one, verse one, I challenged you as a church, I challenged you as individuals and followers of Christ that we would be the kind of people then that we would be the kind of church that gave ourselves away that we would leave a legacy of faithfulness to the Son of God, that we would be remembered for what we gave and not what we took, that we would be remembered for how we impacted the culture with the gospel, that we were not a holy huddle, but we were a body of believers that met together, worshiped together, studied together, encouraged one another, and then went forth from these walls and carried the message of a risen Savior to a hurting world and we would really be the kind of people that gave ourselves away, that we would give of ourselves, we would give of our service, we would give of our sacrifice, we would give of our substance and resources so that others could be influenced and impacted with the gospel because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, the church at Colossae, I've shared with you, they were being attacked by all sorts of false doctrine. We've talked about how Gnosticism was very prevalent in that society and one of the main types of teaching that was attacking the church was teachings regarding legalism. Legalism being that which tells you everything you can't do instead of what God came to set you free to do through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's about keeping all the rules without a love relationship with the Son of God. And that particular doctrine of legalism is not going away and it is very much alive today around us. We see it, we hear about it. My prayer is that it would not be your testimony nor the testimony of our church. So we see today for any church to give themselves away, we cannot be the kind of church where legalism is the driving force of the ministry. So what should it be? Well, the driving force of any church that gives themselves away for the glory of God must be that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary is what motivates us, that he is no longer just here on earth, God confined to the body of a man, but he is a risen Savior who rose from the grave three days after he was buried, and that motivates us to do the work that he's called us to do. I believe everything we do as a church must be about Jesus and for his glory. Adrian Rogers said this, he said the same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business and his business is the business of transformation, amen? Not just fixing you up from the outside in, but cleaning you up from the inside out. Not being whitewashed, but being washed white. Amen? So in today's text, we're going to explore some things in some areas of the power of Christ and the cross of Calvary and how it has such an effect on those who trust him as Lord and Savior. Because I believe there's some things you will experience when you come to Christ. There are people who say, well, I became a Christian and not much changed. Friend, I tell you, if you know Jesus, you know change. But if there is no Jesus, there is no change. So today, 
When a person comes to Christ, there's some things they will experience. And the first thing I want you to notice is in verses 11 and 12 is that they will experience radical transformation. Earlier in the service, we sang a great old song. I asked Marty to sing the song Victory in Jesus today because it has a lot to do with the message that I'm bringing to you today because I did a little research. One of my favorite old songs, I found out it was written by a man named Eugene Bartlett in 1939 so this meant this was a new song when Clara was just a little bitty girl amen <laughs> first I thought it said 1839 but no it's 1939 but no, anyhow in 1939 Eugene Bartlett wrote the words and music to the song Victory in Jesus we just sing it you heard the first verse I heard an old old story how a savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning and I repented of my sins and won the victory. What wonderful words about radical transformation. See, the first thing that happens when a person trusts Christ is they experience this radical transformation that is shown to us through inward regeneration. See, the Colossian false teachers were teaching that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Now, the word circumcised literally means to cut around. It was first practiced by Abraham on Ishmael, his servants, and himself in direct obedience to God's command in Genesis chapter 17. From that point on, all the physical descendants of Abraham were circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. They were done so to show the fulfillment of the promise that was contained in the Abrahamic covenant where God told him that his descendants would be as many as the sands of the sea and stars of the sky who had no children but turned out to be the father of a multitude. So over time, the rite of circumcision became a distinct racial barrier between Jew and Gentile. It's very clear to distinguish who the Jewish boys were because of physical circumcision and who the Gentile boys were because of the lack of physical circumcision. So some of the Jews who professed Christianity, they believed that physical circumcision was essential to salvation and tried to force it upon the Gentiles. Now, boys, let's just be real. They got this done at eight days old. Do any of y'all remember being eight days old? No, I know. Some of you probably do. No, no, nobody remembers being eight days old, but if you had to go through something like that when you were 48, you would remember it. Amen? So they tried to force this upon them, but according to today's text, we read that physical circumcision is unnecessary to receive salvation. Amen? And all God's people said glory, right? But Christians have been through a different type of circumcision. He said, and Paul wrote, that we have been through a circumcision made without hands, which is the circumcision of Christ. 
You see, the purpose of circumcision is the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. It's right there in the text. He's saying, I have cut around your heart. I have cut away everything that is useless, everything that was holding you back, everything that was a detriment to you, and I have cleansed you from the inside out. See, when Christ comes into a person's life and the Holy Spirit resides within that person, the circumcision of Christ removes the body of the sins of the flesh it means he took some stuff away aren't you glad but here's the deal he not only took away the sin he took away took away the guilt that came as a product of the sin sometimes satan tries to get us to still carry that guilt around amen he tries to remind us of all these things but god in his glory god in his perfection and through the work of Christ on Calvary's cross, Paul is saying he has taken away the body of the sins of the flesh. See, the removal, excuse me, the refer, this refers to the removal of all guilt, all penalty, and all the pollution of sin. That is good news today. The world needs to hear that message that what Christ came to do. Now, we need to understand this. It does not eradicate your sin nature you still got the ability to sin. Amen? You still have the ability to dishonor God with your life, but I'll tell you what it does do. It does strip away the power of the sin nature so that believers no longer have to obey the sin nature anymore. Before you come to Christ, your sin nature reigns supreme in your life, and whatever your sin nature tempts you to do, by and large, you follow that and you do so. I have always told my children when they were growing up, we should never be shocked or surprised when a lost person acts like a lost person. A lost person behaves like a lost person because they're a lost person. Where we ought to be appalled is when people profess to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior and continue to behave as a lost person. Amen? That ought to be the thing that gets to us because if you don't know Jesus, you are bent toward that sin nature. But ladies and gentlemen, when he comes into your life through radical transformation, he does so through inward regeneration. He cleans you up from the inside out. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin you know what Paul is saying when heaven moved in hell's got to move out we no longer follow the sin nature as though he is our guide we have a new sheriff in town we have a new resident king in the castle of our heart his name is Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit and he leads and guides us and he bends our will toward God away from ourselves and as we yield ourselves to his lordship we become more like Jesus we bring glory to the son of God and to God the father through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and ladies and gentlemen we we can do great things for the glory of God if we will just submit ourselves to his radical transformation. But there's something else. Not only does radical transformation involve inward regeneration, it also involves an outward manifestation. See, when a person trusts Christ as Savior, all the changes that take place on the inside are visible to those who see us on the outside. <laughs> You can't hide it, friend. 
you know these folks who say well I'm just a little I'm just not real vocal about my religion the reason is is because it's religion religion is man's attempt to get to God but you don't become silent about a relationship amen oh look when a couple gets engaged and they promise themselves to one another in a marriage relationship that is soon to come they go get pictures made they put an announcement in the paper oh we used to anybody get the paper anymore right <laughs> you talk about reading the newspaper kids like what is that no, no, no. They do these things because they want to announce to the world that they love one another, they have a relationship with one another, and they want to spend the rest of their life together. Are y'all still with me? Give me out another sweat rack here. It's getting warm. Listen to me. When you have a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, through the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed you of your sin and made you a child of the Most High God. How on earth could you walk around and be silent about it? No. Oh, he's doing a work on the inside that's going to be visible on the outside. See, the first step of obedience for every new believer is believer's baptism. Baptism does not save us from our sins. Did y'all know that? I'm afraid there's a lot of people today who have been baptized in our creeks and baptistries that went in dry centers, came out wet centers, and there was no radical transformation. No, it does not save us from our sins. It does not provide eternal life. But here's what it is. It is an outward symbol of an inward work of the grace of God. Many professing Christians today have put their confidence in baptism as a means of salvation. And you'll say, well, you know, does it matter what type of baptism I participate in after I become a believer? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because in the original Greek language, the word baptizo can only be translated to mean immersion. That means your whole self goes under the water. It don't save you, but it is a symbol to the world that you have died to yourself, you are living for God, and you're united with the body of Christ. You are no longer living for yourself. You've been radically transformed. You've had inward regeneration, outward manifestation, and you want the world to know that you love Jesus. God, help us today. Lord, help us. Pictures our union with Christ. You see this radical transformation that takes place in a believer's life can only be achieved right there in the text through faith in the working of God. I was listening to Tony Evans the other day and he mentioned something about Clark Kent. We talked about superheroes in Sunday school today. They didn't mention my favorite superhero, Keith. My teacher, you was in my class. My teacher's a superhero. How many, how many comic books you got, brother? How many thousand? 8,000? 8, That's a comic book nerd right there. Man. Nah, Mark's my buddy. I can kid with you. But look here. My favorite superhero was Bo Darvel. People don't know who Bo Darvel is. 
his sidekick, the snowman. Breaker, breaker. Smokey and the Bandit. Burt Reynolds. Nobody likes my superhero, Marty. Y'all didn't know him about Bo Darvel, did you? But you know, oh, Bo Darvel. You remember his girlfriend, Frog, Sally Field? She said, what do you like doing, Bess? What do you say? Showing off. <laughs> An old bandit, he's pretty good about showing off, wasn't he? Black Trans Am in 1977, I guess you were showing off, wasn't you? But, but I was thinking about another superhero, Mark. Most people didn't know he was a superhero. They thought his name was Clark Kent. Do y'all remember Clark Kent? I mean, nobody liked him. He was always bumbling and stumbling. The dude over the paper didn't like him. Jimmy Olsen didn't like him. Lois Lane didn't like him. <laughs> but don't let him get near a phone booth. <laughs> he got near a phone booth. Something happened, didn't he? He went in bumbling, stumbling Clark Kent. And he came out and he was faster than a speeding bullet. Stronger than a locomotive, able to te leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. He went by a phone booth. A phone booth turned him in from a newspaper reporter to a superhero. Now you say, preacher, I don't know how in the world you're going to draw a parallel between Clark Kent and the phone booth and radical transformation. Well, stay with me. Remember that other guy we talked about in Sunday school this morning, Peter? Remember when Jesus in John 13 got that basin of water and that towel and he knelt down before those earthly men. Look here, remember, omnipotence, the sovereign savior of the world, the son of God, God in the flesh, knelt down before these dirty feet of these stinking disciples and he washed their feet and he got to old Peter. Peter was going to show that bunch. Y'all bunch of unspiritual. I'm telling you right now, y'all are letting him wash it. How dare, I'll tell you what, when he gets to me, I'm going to fix this. Peter was always trying to fix Jesus, wasn't he? <laughs> he got to him, he said, I'll tell you what, Lord, I'm not washing my feet. He said, oh, oh yeah, I am, Peter. Oh, no, you're not. He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part with me. What did he say after that? Ha, huh, I tell you what, here's my feet, here's my hands, here's my head. I want you to wash all of me because what you got going on, I need to be a part of. And if being washed by you, my feet, my heads, and my hand makes me a part of what you're doing, I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I've already said there, look back there in Matthew chapter 16. Who do you say I am? Peter said, we believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Amen. Clark Kent went by the phone booth and he got transformed. Peter kept bumbling and stumbling, didn't he? But something happened when he came face to face with the fact that Jesus had went to the cross and three days later he got up from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need a phone booth to transform us. It won't do you any good. These kids don't even know what a phone booth is anymore. 
no, no, no. We don't need, a phone booth won't transform you. That's a fictional TV thing that's fun and we enjoy it and there's nothing wrong with it. But what I want to say to you today is if you're going to be transformed to be used for the glory of God, you're going to have to come face to face with the fact that Jesus Christ bled and died for your sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and come face to face with an empty tomb where he rose from the grave. And when you come face to face with that man, you will be transformed for all eternity. What happened with Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. He was changed. And on the day of Pentecost, it was that bumbling, stumbling, Clark Kent of a disciple that God chose to stand on the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel. And 3,000 people were added to the church in one you know what I believe sometimes you'll say and I've said it Lord I fell victim to the devil's traps many times of believing that God can't do anything with me thinking that I'm just a nobody and I am a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody that's who I am and nobody could God couldn't use me I, I make too many mistakes I'm not smart enough not articulate enough and all that kind of stuff and I bumble and stumble like everybody else and then finally I'm reminded that I come face to face with the word of God where God took Peter and he used him and listen to me friend here's some good news for you if God can use Peter he can use you Radical transformation. Let's move on. There's also, we need to understand about eternal salvation. Verse 13 and 14. I told you the first verse of victory in Jesus. What about that second verse? We missed it, but it has something to do. He said, I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Notice where verse 13 says that we were dead in our trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh. Listen, but notice what a difference Jesus makes. He's made us alive together with him. That's a good word, church. Having forgiven you all trespasses, Notice with me the saint's position in verse 13. Made us alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. These verses right here emphasize the fact that forgiveness is complete apart from any human work. Wow, that's a good word. The forgiveness of God has made us alive together with him. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but he's made us alive and he's made us the sons and daughters of God. Did you know that? John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I'm grateful for that. So what are some characteristics of his forgiveness? I learned this from John MacArthur, and I want to share with you just briefly. Characteristics of God's forgiveness, number one is, it is, grace, is grace. Forgiveness is gracious, I'm sorry. His forgiveness is gracious. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't get enough money to buy it. It's gracious. It's also, his forgiveness is also complete. Romans 5, 20, but where sin did abound, grace abounded much more. 
Aren't you glad that no matter how deep your sin debt was, that the grace of God is far greater and higher and can cover any sin debt on the planet? His forgiveness, his grace is complete, but it's also eager. Psalm 86, 5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. What's a good word? You are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. He's looking for you, amen? He's searching for you. It's not that he don't know where you are, but he's bidding you to come to him and he's offering this free gift. But forgiveness is also motivating. It ought to motivate you when you get up in the morning as a child of God to realize how good God's been to you. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, the saint's position is he's made us alive and he's given us his total forgiveness. And then notice with me in verse 14, he talks about our sin's elimination. Verse 14, Paul illustrates God's forgiveness. Look what he said. I love verse 14, don't you? The song, It Is Well With My Soul, has some words of this verse. It says, he has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Wait a minute. That meant that there was evidence against you and me that we all deserved eternity separated from God forever in a place called hell. Did you know that? There was evidence. He, look what he says. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. This statement refers to the certificate of indebtedness, which was handwritten by a debtor in acknowledgement of his debt. He knew it. The indebtedness was contrary, can also be translated hostile toward us, and this means that it was enough to condemn us to hell. We would be in serious trouble if the verse ended right there, wouldn't we? But look where it goes. Jesus literally took it away, which is translated, he canceled it out. Now, folks, right here, I'm telling you, if you've been waiting to be blessed, if you've been waiting to wonder what was my trip to church worth today, you're about to be right where you need to be, amen? Just, just give me a few minutes here. You, you'll be blessed whether you intended to be or not, amen? Listen here. He canceled it out. In New Testament time, when a debt was satisfied, they brought the document to them and they took a pen or whatever the writing utensil they had and they put a big X over it. That meant no longer was that debt active. It had been canceled. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he said three words. He said, it is finished. Marty, finished. You know what finished means? In good old Cleveland County, it means finito, over with. When I served in Georgia all those years, I taught them so many good Cleveland County words, I hope they still got them. It was the only good thing they had going on, but look here. He said it is finished. What was finished? Oh, his life was finished. Oh, no, not his life. But the plan of redemption for mankind was now complete. When you and I come to him in faith, 
repenting of our sins and placing our trust in him, here's what happens. The holy hand of God takes a brush and he dips it in the blood of Calvary and he makes a big old X over all the indebtedness that was against us and he makes us the sons and daughters of God. No, his life wasn't over because Revelation 1 says that he is alive and he lives forevermore. He is seated at the right hand of God according to the scripture. He ever lives to make intercession for you and me according to the scripture. He's not a dead man. He's a live man and you and I can live because he lives. God is good. He nailed our certificate of debt to the cross. No details of our indebtedness will be held against us. We can become the recipients of eternal forgiveness. Then notice with me finally, verse 15. He speaks a word of total authorization. Christ died on the cross. You know what he did? Stripped Satan of all of his authority. <laughs> See it. And what Satan thought would eliminate Christ enabled him to achieve victory for all. Two things. He disarmed the devil and he defeated all the demons. I want you to get these. Verse 3. I heard about a mansion. He is built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. I used to hear the old song directors call it the Christial Sea. Amen. The Christial Sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. When I talk about his defeat over all demons, Adrian Rogers said this. He said, Jesus came for the first time to die. He's coming again to raise the dead. When he came the first time, they questioned whether he was a king. The next time, the world will know that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. The first time, he wore a crown of thorns. The next time, he'll wear a crown of glory. The first time, he came in poverty. The next time, he'll come in power. The first time, he had an escort of angels. The next time, he will come with ten thousands of his saints. The first time he came in meekness, he's coming again in majesty. Oh, Jude said that the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. That's why we sing victory in Jesus, Martin. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I like this. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Friend, you may be here today and you've not experienced the power of Christ in his cross. You may still have the certificate of sin debt against you and you may still be in debt for your sin. And you've been wondering, how am I going to get rid of this? Well, today you know. 
It's not what you can do. It's what Christ has already done. He can take it away and you don't have to tote it around anymore. Friend, listen, if you're a child of God and you're here today, here's what Satan does to you and he does to me. He knows he can't take away what God did for you through Jesus. He knows he can't take away your salvation, so here's what he'll do. He'll saddle you with some old guilt. He'll try to drape it over you and weigh you down. He may remind you or he'll find one of his little minions to remind you. Amen? How you used to be? Well, thank God it's a used to. Amen? And he'll drape it over you and you'll carry it around like a heavy coat and a ball and chain and it's doing nothing but hindering you from being free to do what God has called and invested in you and gifted you to do. So you're either here with a sin debt today you need taken away through the cross or you're here today and you're a child of God and you're still toting around some guilt that's not yours to tote. Amen? And if that's true, I want you to know today you can leave here completely free. You may be carrying around the guilt of lack of forgiveness. You may be carrying around the guilt of a lot of different things. I don't know. You may be like Peter, like, no, I'm not doing that. You're not doing that. No, 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 I'm not like these other people. No, you may be like him, just need a little help. But today I want you to know that the answer for whatever you need is found at the foot of the cross. And I plead with you to come to Jesus. Bow with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for how it speaks so clearly to my heart, my life, reminds me of how imperfect I am, how much I need your help, and how much I need to completely submit myself to your authority and lordship every day. God, right now, I pray on behalf of those in this building or maybe watching by way of internet today, that have never experienced the forgiveness that's only available through Christ and his finished work on the cross. They've never experienced the freedom of being sent free from that sin debt and they're still carrying it around, trying to figure out how to fix themselves. And Father, we know none of us can do that. Father, I, I pray also on behalf of your children today who have fallen victim to the same things I have over the years. At times where Satan would want to remind us of some former sin that we'd been forgiven of. Maybe some way we behaved in the past. Maybe some things we said or did. And try to saddle us with guilt. It's not ours to carry. Father, I pray for those folks today in this room that may be doing the same thing. And if they are, Father, I pray that the sweet Holy Spirit would speak peace to their soul today and would give them the courage and the confidence to once again cast that all in all on you and not carry it around because it hinders them from being the fruitful and faithful child you've called and gifted them to be. Father, at this invitation, I pray that lives are forever changed 
and that the glory of God is manifest through the saving of lost souls and the restoring of joy to your children who have allowed the world to take it away. Father, we love you. And we pray, God, you'd speak mightily in this time. In Christ's name. Our heads about eyes are closed, church. Here's the invitation. In just a moment, we'll stand. And when we do, I want you to know it's not just a ritual. It's not what we do because it's the close. It's, I believe, doing what Jesus did. Because when Jesus ever ministered, performed a miracle or whatever he did, he always invited people to follow him. And that's what we're inviting you to do, not to follow the preacher, but to follow Jesus and giving your life to him. In church, we're inviting you to follow the Lord and giving your all for him. So we're inviting you to respond based on what you have received today from the word of God. Whatever decisions you need to make, I pray you make the one God leads you to do in this time. Father, we commit this invitation to you. May the Son of God be glorified through every decision. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. As we're standing, that very first word, that very first verse, you step into that nearest aisle and come to Jesus. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus.
thank the Lord Jesus for speaking to us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The ushers are coming. As our ushers are coming today, I want to encourage us always to be faithful, regardless of what's going on around us. We've saw a lot of change in our world in the last seven days, haven't we? A lot of things that are beyond our control, aren't they? But there's a lot of things that we can, and that's our faithfulness. I want to encourage you to be faithful. Regardless of what's going on around you, just remember who lives within you. Remember that you're a part of what he's doing, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, touching the world right here at home and around the world. So as we give today, let's be faithful. If you have prayer requests, praise reports, or our guest today, and you leave a card, they those off the uh, bulletin tear-off. Please use that any way you need to. You drop those in, the plate comes by. Well, let's just be faithful because God's been good, hasn't he? He's been real good. He'll always be faithful regardless of what we do. But I tell you, it sure is a blessing when you see the body of Christ remaining faithful in all circumstances. The past two years have really put us to the test. But God has been faithful through it all. So let's join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Quick before we get out today, choirs at five today. Uh, 
deacons were meeting at four, so choirs at five. This week, of course, is daylight savings time, so crank it up an hour next Saturday night so you won't be late next Sunday. Uh, I noticed kids, I mentioned this on Wednesday night, and y'all up there now, I want y'all to know, it's really a, a secret. We're not wanting to let this out of the bag, but I guess I might as well. Y'all are out of school Friday and Monday. Y'all get a four-day weekend to celebrate my birthday on Monday. So I just want y'all to know that's really why that's happening. We didn't want to let that out, Ray. I mean, I didn't want to do that. But anyhow, no, I wouldn't. I'm just cutting up. But y'all do enjoy that. And yes, Monday is my birthday, Carly. And, and I like turtle cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. I know. Yeah. Let's pick on Carly. You know, uh, Kelsey had gone to the Cheesecake Factory, and I couldn't believe she didn't bring me turtle. Isn't that the best? Of course, it's all good, isn't it? Amen. Calorie-free, fat-free, sugar-free. Uh, we do remember those things. But look, that's what's going on. Hey, let's just remember this week. Let's go take what God gives us in here on Sunday, and let's take it beyond these walls into a community, into a county, into a world that needs Jesus. Our world's changed fast. We don't know. Look here. Always remember this. The Bible says if we have hope in this life only, we're among all men most miserable. When you see what's going on around here and around the world, just remember that all this is temporary, but what I've talked to you about today is eternal. Amen? Don't forget that. This is temporary. We will be with Jesus, and we will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. We need to, D.L. Moody said he had a dream one night and God told him, said, Moody, you're in a lifeboat. And you need to get everybody in the boat where you can to bring them to my house. Amen? So that's what we need to do. We need to be focused on those things. Let's go be a blessing. Let's encourage others. Let's lift up each other. And let's just see what God can do because of this. God loves you. And you know I love you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? Let's stand together. Marty, you sing us out.